Pastor Xavier Reese and the true value of eternal hope. Charles Spurgeon declared the following about the gospel. It is a great privilege to hear the gospel. You may smile and think there is nothing very great in it. The damned in hell know all what they would give if they could hear the gospel now. The saved in heaven estimate this privilege at a high rate. The tragedy is that while we're living, we really don't know what's valuable. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I'm not good enough. I'll come to church when I get my life in order. According to God's Word, your ticket to heaven doesn't really depend upon what you have to offer. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study in the Old Testament book of Isaiah as he shares the true hope and grace of the gospel. Let's listen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 11. And the message is entitled, Good News, You Can Be Forgiven. The prophet Isaiah has been declaring the judgment of God against Judah and Israel through Assyria, the rod of God's wrath. Now Isaiah is called to declare the loving grace and redemption of his people, as well as that of the entire Gentile nations, by the servant of Jehovah the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it is radical as night and day when you read Isaiah. You get to 40, boom, a change. The opening 11 verses have been called the introduction to the entire last half. And this is what God wants you to know, that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the hair on your head, labeled to the name. And he wants to open your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to proclaim comfort to his people based on three revealed truths. First, verse 1 and 2, God had made provisions for their sins. Notice first the proclamation of comfort through forgiveness is the declaration of the command from God, from the heavenly court. This is such great news. After 39 chapters, I'm going to get you. Then he says, I've got you. <laughs> I've got it all set up for you. Don't throw it away. You see, God is ever pursuing man, and I am, I am persuaded that God is more excited about forgiving my sin than I am that he forgive my sin. There's a relationship that's been severed here. There's a relationship now that's being reconciled together, being put together again. In fact, the word peace in the Greek comes from the, or the word that means to join something together. You're joining something that was previously broken. Her iniquity was pardoned. Provisions had been made. Personal response now was necessary. And this is the thing that you have to understand if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning. Provisions have been made. Now you need to respond. God has done everything that needs to be done. Nothing needs to be done. The check is in the bank. All you got to do is go withdraw it. But you've got to believe that the deposit is there. Notice secondly, verse 3 through 5. God had chosen a man to proclaim their forgiveness. See, it's good to make the provision, but if no one's going to proclaim it, what good is it? Notice first in verse 3, the proclamation was of the coming Messiah. The person is identified simply as a voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice is the representative of God, a prophet. The location is the wilderness, very specific. The purpose identified also to prepare the way of the Lord. 
The plan was to make straight in the desert a highway for, here it is again, our God. Now notice that the message was twofold in verse 3 and 4. Isaiah was to proclaim the deliverance by God coming to them after the Babylonian captivity through Ezra and Nehemiah, the short-term fulfillment. He was going to comfort them from that. Assyria was, took um, the northern kingdom in 722, and then after that, of course, um, he used for a rod continually, but then Babylon would be raised up. So he would deliver them the short-term wise. That was the short-term fulfillment. Then Isaiah was to proclaim the coming of John the Baptist. What, what does chapter 40 begin? The grace of God. The forgiveness for not only Israel, but for all. We're going to see that as we move along our text. You find it in Matthew, Luke, Mark, Luke, John. All, three, all four Gospels tell us John identifies himself as the voice crying in the wilderness, declaring that the king of the Jews was coming. Now notice 30 in verse 5. The proclamation stated that God would take on flesh. The prophet declared that the glory of the Lord would be revealed in the future. This was the prayer of the prophet. He says, oh, that God will rent the heavens and come down. This is going to be the answer to the prayer of the prophet. God was going to rent the heavens and come down to earth. The incarnation. God would send his only son to redeem mankind. The New Testament is very clear regarding the fulfillment of the prophecy. As John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word, literally. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The prophet declares, all flesh shall see it together, not only Israel. Listen to 1 John 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Wow. Not only Israel, all would see it. God would become flesh. The prophet qualifies his proclamation by the statement, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is not himself. What you possess in your lap is God's inerrant, infallible word that you can entrust your eternity to. For the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin or any time they wanted to, but they were moved and carried along by the Spirit of God. So when they spoke as they did, they did it by the unction of the Spirit so that you have the inspired, infallible, inerrant word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Man, what confidence, what comfort that is. That I don't have some man's opinion. I don't have some, some marred document. I have God's living word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the sun of the soul and the spirit, a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. It accuses me, man. It nails me. When I want to justify myself, I am nailed. When you're a Christian, you're nailed. You're You're busted. Charles Spurgeon declared the following about the gospel. The hearing of the gospel involves a hearer in responsibility. It is a great privilege to hear the gospel. You may smile and think there is nothing very great in it. The damned in hell know all what they would give if they could hear the gospel now. If they could come back and entertain. But the shadow of hope 
that that might yet escape from the wrath to come. The saved in heaven estimate this privilege at a high rate. For having obtained salvation through the preaching of the gospel, they can never cease to bless their God by calling them by his word of truth. Oh, that you knew it. On your dying beds, the listening to a gospel sermon will seem another thing than it seems now. True value. Death will make a difference on valuable things. The tragedy is that while we're living, we really don't know what's valuable. It's not until we're confronted with death that we say, oh, oh, you know, at that point, everything's really trivial, is it not? Because you know what? You take nothing with you. Each of us is to preach the gospel to others as God would open the doors and the opportunities. In fact, we are told that we are the ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us that they be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We represent God. Can you imagine that? Each of us should preach the gospel in a contemporary way when we do to clearly communicate the need of man's salvation from his or her sin. That they understand that they are under God's wrath until they accept the Lord Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. Well, what do you mean by life? Well, life means eternal life, not simply the life here. But life is eternal. You have eternal life. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you have eternal life. You are going to live forever, honest. Where are you going to live forever? Only you can choose in the presence of God or separated from God. We need to communicate that clearly, not in an offensive way, not in a self-righteous way, but to share your heart. Why? Because you, like Isaiah, have said, woe is me, I am undone. You have experienced forgiveness. You have experienced comfort. You have experienced your Lord and Master's mercies. How can you not communicate the same way he communicated to you? Using common language, not big old biblical words. Don't say, you know, you're lost. You need to be redeemed. The blood of Jesus will wash you up, and then we can get into fellowship. And the guy goes, huh? What are you talking about? But sharing with him, you know, that, that your lifestyle, because of sin nature that all of us have, and the things you do is because of sin nature, and they're against God, but God has made it possible for you to be forgiven, to be changed. And he did it through his son. And you know, as hard as it may seem, you know, he, he became man and he, and he came in the form of a, of a servant as, through a virgin. And he died for you and he loves you and he doesn't want you to perish. And to pour your heart in a very simple, straightforward way to communicate the gospel in a contemporary manner. Even as 1 Peter 3.15 says, giving an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that I know with meekness and fear. And you'll be talking and God will be piercing that heart and bringing pain to that heart and conviction to the heart and God will just do the work and you'll blow your mind. Each of us need to be sure we can prove from the scripture that Jesus is the eternal God who became man through the incarnation. Can you do that? Because that, people don't believe in God today. And we are living in a God-hating nation. They don't believe in God. And if you go out telling that Jesus Christ is God... Can you prove it? Can you share, as God began from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, that, that from the beginning God promised that he would be virgin born? That Isaiah 7.14 says that a virgin would bear a son and he would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
That he would give the gift to man in Isaiah chapter 9, that a son is given, a child is born, meaning he's divine, he's human. That in fact, the volume of the book is written of him, as Hebrews 10, 7 says, quoting Psalm 40. The red thread from Genesis to Revelation. Can you prove that, that he's God and he's man? Can you give those answers? Very important. People are dying. It's like standing at a pier and, and, and people drowning and, and you have the life vest and, and you're hanging on to them. Or you don't know where you put them because you haven't made preparations. And all you're seeing is people drown. Then where's my responsibility then? God had chosen a man to proclaim their forgiveness. And God has chosen you and myself now to proclaim that to a dying world. Notice 30, verses 6 through 11. God had the prophetic near and far in view of their forgiveness. First, in verse 6 through 8, the reason for the proclamation was due to man's temporalness. This is the second voice declaring, cry out. The prophet asked, what shall I cry? That's good. Do you ask God, what do you want me to do? Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Or do you just put it on cruise control and you've got it all together wired? <laughs> the prophet was to cry out to man that he and his loveliness is like the grass and the flower of the field, temporal for a season. Notice verse 7. The prophet was to tell the man that man's uh, breath was in the hands of God even as he blows on a flower. He is creator. He is sovereign creator. He is sovereign. He does what he wills. He takes the life when he wants. Paul says, in him we move, we breathe, and have our being. You have voluntary muscles, involuntary muscles. Who controls your lungs? Thank God you don't have to think to breathe at night. In God's hand is our breath. The prophet was to tell man that in contrast as the grass and flowers were temporal in existence, so was man, but God's word was like God himself, eternal, and it would never cease again in verse 8. Here's the contrast. We're temporal. He's eternal. We're finite. He's infinite. The prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled to the letter regarding the first coming of Christ. God's word is going to come to pass. The prophecies of the second coming are equally going to come to pass. What are the chances that they're not going to come to pass? Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will stand forever. Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, and other places. God's word is going to come to pass. It's like him forever. Notice, secondly, verse 9 through 11, the other reason was that the proclamation of deliverance looked beyond their own day. Are you just caught up in your day? Are you saying, well, I'm going to heaven and the hell with everyone else? I hope not, because that's where they're headed. You need to read Luke 16. It's a window open into hell. He gives you a glimpse into what goes on when people perish. You have to read that and cry. If you read that and walk away, something's wrong. Something's absolutely wrong. Notice science in verse 9 was to proclaim the good news on the highest mountain of Jerusalem and not be afraid declaring God's authority. Why? It's good news. You, when you've got the good news, you shout it. You're in a burning building and you've got a way out. This is the door. Hey, hey, come over. You don't say, well, I think that door is in. <laughs> the purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, to educate you so you can be equipped to give the gospel. The responsibility is to evangelize. If you try to evangelize before you know the word of God, what are you going to tell people? How are you going to answer them? The message was to 
the ruined cities of Judah. Notice that. By the hand of Sennacherib, who had ruined them, who were to look to their God in faith of the revelation and not to the circumstance they were presently under. Ooh. This is a principle for your life and mine always. Listen, there are going to be times in your life and mine where, man, we're going to be down on all fours. We're going to be just crying out to God. And we're not going to know what the heck is going on. But we have to trust him for what his word says and look beyond and live above our circumstances. Stand on the rock and God will be for you. Look at verse 10. The Lord would deliver them from their future captivity of Babylon. With a strong hand and, and his rule, he would reward them. Now, this is kind of twofold. The Lord would come with a strong hand and rule, removing the king of Babylon, as he would call Cyrus to defeat Babylon. And then Cyrus would send the Jews to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem and Ezra and Nehemiah. In fact, later on, Isaiah is going to tell us that he's going to call Cyrus by name, his anointed, 150 years before he's born. And he gives him the plan how to defeat Babylon without firing a shot, if you will, by going under the levee gate, deflecting the river Euphrates in Isaiah 45, 1 through 3. I'm going to tell you things before they happen, so when they happen, you can know I'm God. Pretty heavy. The implication of the reward very possibly being the the booty of war. And certainly this is seen as it is given back to Ezra and Nehemiah for rebuilding of the temple in a first fulfillment. The Lord would care for them and do this as he comes back in the second coming. And it's more graphic and detailed where the Lord would care for them to provide for them as a loving shepherd. He did so in a first manner in the captivity of Babylon, but ultimately it is in the second coming when he will deal with the nation of Israel through the great tribulation, and as he comes back with his church to fight the battle of Armageddon, then he has the judgment of the nations, and he sets up the kingdom, and he gives to Israel all the land that was promised to them, and they live a thousand years with Jesus, all who are true Israel, not just because they're born in Israel or call themselves Jews. Paul makes this very clear in the book of Romans. One put it this way. Oh, believe me, if you could roll all sins into one mass, if you could take murder, blasphemy, lust, adultery, fornication, and everything that is vile and unite them all into one vast glob of black corruption, they would not equal even then the sin of unbelief. This is the bottom line. Unbelief. It is the A1 sin, the masterpiece of Satan, the chief work of the devil. Unbelief. It will seal your eternity. The mortal state of man is something he is very aware of, but he somehow pushes it far away from him. And yet, it is appointed to man to die. Once and after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. No exception. The time of man's death is uncertain. And I think often is taken for granted, assuming that a person will be here tomorrow. I was 19 years old going down Badillo on my chopper. Whole life before me. 
little 70-year-old lady hits me head on. Coma for seven, eight days. Almost die. Oh, I believed in God. When I got out of the hospital, I went straight to the Catholic Church, lit my little candles. Then I went back to partying. Didn't change me. Then at age 23, I lost a night. That's how I came to the Lord. Then God changed me. Tomorrow's promise to no one. The sinner must remember that eternity awaits him. Either in separation of God or in union with God. He who has a son has life. He who has not a son has not life and the wrath of God abides in him. John 3.36. That message should never be proclaimed with a smack of the lips with a broken heart. Hoping that the person opens their heart to Jesus Christ. The believer must look to the proclamation of the gospel, the good news, that man can be delivered from his sin beyond his own generation. For that reason, Paul says in Romans 10, 14 through 17, how will they hear if a preacher's not sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And he says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. For that reason, we are committed to the preaching of the gospel. We are not into programs. We're not into all that. We are here to preach and teach the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves man from his sin. This is the problem. This is the great calamity between God and man. Sin. Condemnation. Damnation. Separation. The present generation is God's present focus. The future generation is our focus. How are we going to reach them? Who are we going to prepare if you should tarry, that the next generation has the gospel that's been entrusted to us. For the believer must never forget to communicate to the world that Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom. It was the first petition of the prayer words they asked Jesus to teach how to pray in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come. The second, thy will be done. They go hand in hand. On earth as it is in heaven. You who are young, do not throw away your life. Don't be stupid. I have no better way to put it. Don't waste your life in the world, parting, polluting your mind and your body, as your pastor did till he was 23 years old. Invest your life for Jesus. Make it worthwhile. Make it count. Because before you know it, if God tarries, you'll be old and I'll be ready to do your funeral. It goes so fast. And only what you do for Jesus is going to last. Nothing less. Don't let the gospel end with you. There's others. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to proclaim comfort to his people based on these three revealed truths. God had made provisions for their forgiveness. He's made provisions for yours. I hope you can take advantage of it. God had chosen a man to proclaim their forgiveness. I have proclaimed to you the forgiveness of your sins this morning. If you will heed. God had the prophetic near and far view of their forgiveness. Ezekiel says, as God speaks to him, Turn ye, turn ye, why would you perish? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's the heart of God. 
Good news. You can be forgiven if you choose. Pastor Xavier Reese and the grace that's available to all who ask for it. If you'd like a copy of today's complete unedited message, Good News, You Can Be Forgiven. It's available for only $4. We can send it to you on CD. And you'll also hear what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is Good News, You Can Be Forgiven, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor this ministry in your area. There's nothing wrong with some colored eggs and tasty candy, but there's much more to Easter than that. Be sure and join Pastor Xavier Reese as he explores the hope of the resurrection. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com